0: Good afternoon, guys. Uh, my name is Jess, and I am a first-year student studying medical sciences, um, and I'll be reading the Bible passage for this afternoon, which is Hebrews 12, to 2. Um, you can follow along in your booklets. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him and sat down at the right hand of of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens those, everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we to submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees.
1: How could there be a loving God if there is so much suffering in this world? As we see so much brokenness in the world, both out there on the news, but also in our own lives, in the relationships around us and perhaps things we've experienced, we can often wonder, how could there possibly be an all-loving and all-powerful God in control? Now, this question certainly isn't a new one, but it was brought home to me again just a few weeks ago. I meet a lot of students through doing walk-up, and I love it. You get to meet a lot of awesome and interesting people, uh, hear what they believe, and get to know them a bit, and often get to have good chats about Jesus. And one of the things I've been surprised by about doing walk-up is that it's very rare to come across people who are out-and-out atheists. Uh, the vast majority of people who at least I come across um, call themselves agnostic or something to the effect. That is to say, they don't say there definitely is no God. They think, yeah, there probably is some God or higher power, but we just can't know. That's probably 95% of the people I've, I've met this year. But two weeks ago when I was chatting to someone, I asked her if uh, she thinks there's a God or a higher power, and she said, no way. And I was quite surprised at how strong her reaction was. I said, oh, you sound, you sound quite sure that there, there's definitely no God. And she said, yes, I am sure. I said, oh, that's so interesting. To, how, do you, how do you know that? How, how can you be so sure? And she said, there can't possibly be a God who is all loving and all powerful, like the Bible says, because there is so much suffering in this world. If there is a God, he'd either have to be cruel, he's not loving, or weak enough not to be able to do anything about the suffering that we see in this world. And if he's weak or cruel, then he's no God. It's a serious objection, isn't it? And it's important to realise this isn't just something that people outside the Christian faith uh, try to use as as an argument against Christianity. No. The question of suffering and whether God is really loving is a question that has plagued many Christians as well. When a family member receives a terminal cancer diagnosis, or when great evil has been committed against me and I still bear the emotional or physical scars today, where is God in all that? God, surely if you love me, you wouldn't let me go through all that, would you? God, don't you care? And if we're in a situation like that, it can be easy for us to lose heart. And maybe even consider throwing in the towel on believing in God altogether. That's a, it's a serious struggle, isn't it? Maybe some of you have felt or are feeling it. And in many ways, it's the same struggle that was plaguing the Christians 2,000 years ago to whom the letter to the Hebrews was written, which we've just had a part of it read. Now, if you were with us in previous weeks, we've seen that these Christians were experiencing great evil committed against them. As we saw last week, some of them were thrown in prison simply for being Christians. Some of them had their property confiscated. They were being persecuted with great injustices being perpetrated against them. I mean, imagine, put ourselves in their shoes, how hard that would be. And they were beginning to lose heart. They were wondering if God was truly loving and truly on our side as followers of Jesus, Well, surely wouldn't be facing this, would we? Their suffering was shaking their faith in God. So this part of the letter, Hebrews 12, to 2 was written to address them as they wrestled with this issue. And we're going to be looking today, especially at verses 4-12. to And as we see what it says to them, and how it encourages them, we'll find great resources that help us make sense of the sufferings that we might face, and to encourage us in the face of hardship. So if you've got a handout in front of you, or a Bible, or a phone with that passage, have a look in your Bibles with me at Hebrews 12, verse 4. It says, In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, here the author of Hebrews is reminding them that although they have faced great injustice, jail time, confiscation of property, In their their struggle against sin, it's talking about their struggle against sinful people, the powers of darkness that are trying to throw away their faith, they have not yet faced martyrdom. That's to say, they have not yet had their blood shed. None of them have been killed yet. Now, at one level, perhaps this puts their suffering in perspective. Well, because in Hebrews 11, last week, we saw that many people who had been killed, who were stoned to death sawn in two, that's not very pleasant if you think about it killed by the sword and maybe he's saying hey don't complain guys, it could be worse you guys haven't had to face have your blood shed, toughen up but I don't think that's what he's doing notice in verse 4 that critical word yet none of you have been killed for your faith yet So what he's actually doing is telling them that worse is yet to come. That they may well face what other Christians have had to face before them. Now we might say, hold on, I thought he was meant to be encouraging them here. Isn't this just going to discourage them? Telling them that more suffering is likely to come in the future. Isn't that just going to shake their faith even more? Well, actually, not at all. He knows what he's doing. Because you see, one of the biggest reasons Christians are caught off guard by suffering, one of the biggest reasons it rocks their faith, is that they weren't expecting it. They were surprised by it, and they suddenly don't know how to reconcile their suffering with the idea of a loving God. But the reality is, we shouldn't be surprised. The New Testament tells us over and over and over again that we will suffer as followers of Jesus. Jesus. That we will suffer, that we will groan as we live in this fallen world, Romans Romans 8 tells us. And so by reminding them of this truth, that they have not yet had to shed their blood, the author of Hebrews is encouraging them and strengthening them so that it won't take them off guard when it happens. We see another striking example of this in the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts in the New Testament is a historical book that recounts the activity of early Christian leaders in the first, say, 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And let me read to you from Acts 14. So Paul and his mate Barnabas are, are preaching at some city. And Acts 14 verse 19 says, Then some Jews came over from Antioch and Iconium, to nearby cities, and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul, they picked up huge rocks and pelted them at him, and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. Now it's easy to skirt over that, but just think for a moment how painful it would be for a crowd of people to drag you out into the open and pelt large rocks at you until you're bleeding and unconscious to the extent that everyone thinks you're dead. It's not a fun experience, is it? So how does Paul respond? Does he think, well, suddenly because this has happened to him, there can't be a loving God? Well, no, what happens? It says he gets right back up and preaches the gospel again. Why? Well, it seems like he wasn't surprised by the suffering. He knew it was coming. In fact, Jesus had warned him, just like he's warned us that it was coming. But this is key. So let's read on from verse 21. So this is the very next verse. It says, Paul and Barnabas, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, saying, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, notice these cities that they're visiting are the same cities where uh, people came to persecute Paul. So we know that the Christians here would have been facing suffering. would have been tough to be a Christian there. And so how do Paul and Barnabas encourage them? Do they say, don't worry, it'll be fine. Nothing bad will happen. It's a bed of roses following Jesus. They tell them to expect suffering. Through many hardships, we must enter the kingdom of God. And that's essentially what the author of Hebrews is doing in Hebrews 12.4. You have not yet had to shed blood But don't be surprised if it happens. Don't be caught off guard. You won't be the first and you won't be the last. And I think that's a helpful reminder for us too. Don't be caught off guard. I mean, for some of us, certainly in a room this size, some of us have already suffered a lot in this life. Or we know people close to us who have. But maybe that's not true for you. But believe me, it's not a question of if you'll suffer, but when. That's just the reality of living in a fallen world, even more so as a Christian. Whether it's persecution or cancer, whether it's loss of a family member or debilitating illness, don't be caught off guard. Now, that's helpful for them and for us to know, but Hebrews 12 has much more to say to encourage these Christians who are facing hardship. So, have a look with me at Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 7. This is really when it gets into the meat and bones. Reading from verse 5. It says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? And now he quotes from Proverbs chapter 3. This is a direct quotation. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Now, if we can grasp what these verses are saying, it is absolutely life-changing. What it is saying that as Christians we should see suffering, not in life, not as meaningless suffering, but as purposeful discipline that God uses to grow us. Hardship is not meaningless suffering, but purposeful, loving discipline. Now, right off the bat, as soon as we say that, we have to be clear about what this is not saying. It's not saying that whenever you experience hardship, it's because God is punishing you for some sin that you've done. It's not suggesting that there's a quid pro quo between sins committed and suffering we face. No, in fact, there's zero indication in either this passage or the book of Hebrews as a whole that these Christians were facing hardships because they'd committed some sin. No. And in fact, when the Bible talks about discipline, it's never about retribution. It's not about punishing someone God does punish people. He brings judgment on those who reject him. But God never brings about retribution on his children. It's discipline. It's to teach us, to grow us. It's always for their good. So when it says Christians should endure hardship as discipline, it means that we are to understand suffering as something God uses to grow us for our good. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verses 8-10 to where he fleshes this out. It says, If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, it's unavoidable, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined uh, us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They, our human fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines for us us For our good, in order that we may share in his holiness, now, what the author of Hebrews is doing here is appealing to simple common sense and common human experience verse nine we 've all had human earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we recognized that it was for our good, maybe more so in hindsight than at the time, if you 're anything like me um, so if that 's the case, how much more? Should we recognise that our heavenly Father would use hardship for our good? And this certainly rings true with my own experience. Uh, growing up as a child, my parents were both loving and very strong on discipline. When we'd done something wrong, we'd get a good old bum smack uh, to help us see the error of our ways. And as we got older and the, the bare hand got a bit less effective, my parents started using a, a plastic knitting needle instead. You know, had a bit of a flex on it and a little bauble on the end. Um, it left a little sting Um, and I can testify from first hand experience the knitting needle was much more effective than the bare hand Um, but also to be very clear it it was never excessive it was never in anger it never did any damage they purposely picked something that stung but nothing else now it was always when they did that it was never to punish me or for retribution No, the reason that they did that was always for my good. It was to grow me in character, to help me see the error of my ways. Now, does that mean I enjoyed being disciplined as a child? Absolutely not. But do I respect them for it? Absolutely. In fact, more than that, I'm thankful that they did it. I'm thankful that my parents loved me enough not to wrap me in cotton wool to put my growth in character above my comfort to put my godliness above being constantly affirmed and coddled. I'm thankful that they disciplined me. And so in fact, I'm now trying to emulate that same kind of loving discipline with my own children. Although I must say I'm not sure that I'll pull out the knitting needle (laughs) on them. But now it needs to be said that, of course, not all of us have had a good experience of measured loving discipline from our fathers, have we? Perhaps you had a father who was absent or lenient or not involved in helping you to grow in character through discipline. Or perhaps you had a father who was not measured and loving, but who was harsh or cruel or even abusive. And if you're in either of those camps, especially the latter, maybe even the idea of a father's loving discipline might seem like a contradiction in terms. And if that's you, let me just acknowledge that and say that I'm sorry that that's been your experience. It's deeply sad what many people have had to face from sinful parents. And it grieves God. But that doesn't mean we should reject the idea of loving discipline. Because you see, one of the glorious truths of the gospel is that even though our earthly fathers are far from perfect, through Jesus we can have a perfect father. When we put our trust in Jesus, we are adopted by a perfect heavenly Father, one who is never too strict, one who is never harsh, never cruel, and never lenient either, one who's never disinterested in our, in our godliness and our growth and our flourishing. And notice the contrast. that it, It's drawing a comparison, isn't it, between earthly fathers and God, our heavenly Father. A comparison, but also a contrast. Did you notice that in verse 10? It said, "'They, our human fathers,' Disciplined us as they thought best, which of course is not always what is actually best because our earthly fathers are sinful human beings just like we are. They disciplined us as they thought best but, the contrast, but God disciplines us for our good, always for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Because you see, even the best earthly father will never discipline us in a way that is exactly for our good. They'll always get stuff wrong. That's true of my earthly father, and that's true of me as a father to my kids. But if you have trusted in Jesus, you have a perfect heavenly father who's never too harsh and gives us exactly what we need. A father who wants to grow us through hardship more and more into the likeness and image of Jesus, our suffering saviour. To be made more like him. And so even though we may struggle at times with hardships we experience in this life, if we have put our trust in Jesus, we can trust that those hardships are not meaningless. If we choose to endure it as discipline. And ask God to grow us through it. Now make no mistake. It doesn't mean that if we do that. Suffering is suddenly easy or enjoyable. No. Suffering still hard. And look at verse 11 in the passage. It says. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. But painful. Later on however. It produces a harvest of righteousness. And peace for those who are trained by it. And so you see. Living in a fallen world, suffering is inevitable. Whether you're a Christian or an agnostic, an atheist or a Buddhist, doesn't matter what your religion or your worldview, suffering does not discriminate. All of us will face it. We can't choose whether or not we'll face suffering in this life. But we can choose how we view it. We can choose how we endure it. We can choose how we respond to it. You know, it's been said that the same sun that hardens clay melts ice. And in the same way, suffering will either harden our hearts or soften them. It will either push us away from God or towards Him. And what's the difference? The difference is how we choose to view our suffering, how we choose to endure it. And of course, this is not just wishful thinking, but whether or not we have a basis to know that we have a loving Heavenly Father. Through Jesus' death on the cross to take the punishment for our sins, when we trust in Him, we're adopted. And so the idea that there's always purpose, even in our suffering, for a Christian is not just wishful thinking. It's not just trying to see a silver lining and hoping that there's some greater purpose. It's grounded in the proven trustworthiness of God who has demonstrated his willingness to do, to act for our good and he's shown his willingness to do that even at cost to himself through Jesus' death. If he was willing to do that for our good through Jesus' suffering, then we can trust that any other smaller sufferings we face in this life can be for our good too. And so the question comes to us, how will we choose to face the sufferings that come at us? Will we endure hardship through the lens of the gospel? Will we endure it as discipline and see it as God's way of growing us to be more like Jesus, our suffering saviour? If so, then yes, suffering will still be hard, but it will draw you closer to God and push your roots deep down into him. If, however, we choose to endure hardship through the lens of this world, if we're caught off guard by suffering and don't see it through the lens of the gospel, then yes, it may well push you away from God and harden your heart against him. And the message of Hebrews 12 is, don't let that happen. Don't let that be you. Don't be caught off guard by suffering. Endure it as discipline. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Don't grow weary and lose heart. I just heard last week of a student from another campus who has become a Christian in the last year and then in the last few months has suddenly faced some real hardships. In the space of five weeks, four people who are close to them died suddenly of various causes. It's been an extremely difficult time for them. And my friend who was telling me about this was talking to this student who was, and was concerned for them and was anxious about how they're going and wanted to care for them and at one point in the conversation asked them it sounds like you're going through a lot of stuff how's your faith going in all this? And the student replied this has been such a difficult season but all of this has really strengthened my relationship with God. It's taught me to depend on Him in a way that I never had before. And I heard that story and I just thought, praise God for that. It's a reminder that yes, suffering can be something that pushes us away from God if we let it. But that it can also help us depend on God and draw near to him and grow more to be like Jesus. Jesus. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. His megaphone to remind us that this world is not what it should be, that there is something deeply wrong with the cosmos, not just in our hearts, but out there. When we see relational breakdown and war and famine and natural disaster, it's reminding us, it's showing us that something is wrong. Our rebellion against God has had consequences in this world. God uses it to remind us that our lives are fleeting. We are vapors. Any one of us could be dead tomorrow. God uses it to remind us not to put our hope in this life, which is so undependable, but to put it in the next. To keep us from living for comfort in this life, which is so fleeting. To keep us from trying to find our life now and thereby losing it in the next. Endure hardship as discipline. Allow it to fix your eyes on God. View your suffering through the lens of the gospel. Samuel Rutherford wrote this about suffering and his experience of it. If God had told me some time ago that he was about to make me as happy as I could be in this world and then had told me that he should begin by crippling me in arm or limb and removing from me all my usual sources of enjoyment, I should have thought it a very strange mode of accomplishing his purpose. And yet, how is his manifold wisdom manifest even in this? For if you should see a man shut up in a closed room, idolising a set of lamps and rejoicing in their light, and you wish to make him truly happy, you would begin by blowing out all his lamps and then throw open the shutters to let in the light of heaven. You know, many object that the existence of suffering means that an all-loving and all-powerful God simply could not exist. But the problem with that argument is that it fails to recognise that a loving God could have some greater purpose in suffering. And Hebrews 12 shows us that just as this student who recently became a Christian experienced, as well as countless others through history... Even suffering and hardship can be used by our lovingly heavenly Father for our good. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, you know the sufferings that some of us have faced already in this life. And the many hardships that we are going to face that are so much worse than what we might have experienced already. Lord, don't let us be unprepared for them. Please, Father, strengthen our faith. Please, by your Holy Spirit, do not allow any of the things that we will face in this world to push us away from. Please, Lord, let them drive us towards you. Lord, fix our eyes on Jesus who suffered so much to save us from the suffering of this world so that one day it'll be all made right. Every tear will be wiped away. Lord, fix our eyes on that future and help us to put our hope in you in the present. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.